Welcome to B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. Meet Bonnie. She's from Oklahoma. Where the wind comes sweeping down the plain. A meteorology major and loves to chase. Meet Bobby. He's from Oregon. Going green. Greenage. Saddle up. You got it, boss. Oregon AMS vice president and a former TV weather producer. It's B Squared. Let's talk weather. Welcome into another edition of B Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I'm Bobby from Oregon. And I'm Bonnie from Oklahoma City. And welcome back to B Squared. Bonnie, it's been a week since we last chatted. Uh, a lot's gone on. I almost froze to death again camping at a festival and ended up coming home and sleeping in my own bed the third night and drove back for day four. But that's a story we'll get into at a different point. Uh, catch us up on the latest what's happening weather-wise in Oklahoma. Mm, well, it's kind of mellowed out now the past few days. We had a little rain over the weekend. Um, last week, we had a couple of days of some good severe weather last last Tuesday, like we talked about. Um, a couple hours after we recorded that podcast, a really tiny, brief tornado touched down a few miles west of me. So I was I was watching the coverage on TV, and it just happened right in front of their eyes. They weren't even expecting it. It was It was really small. Didn't stay on the ground for very long. Didn't really do any damage. But still, it was a tornado on the ground. Was the so storm, did the storm go tornado warn first, or was it one of those ones where they warned after it already happened? It, it never even got a warning even after. It literally just dropped that tornado for like like 12.64 seconds, and then it was gone. <laughs> one of those quick-hitting tornadoes. <laughs> yes. So... But hey, you know what? It did it. it. It it did it. It put it on the ground. It was touching the ground. So, All right. Well, our story out here in Oregon continues to be the smoke, and we're going to get into this here in a few minutes. Uh, it's not just a Northwest problem. It's now become a nationwide problem. Uh, so, like I said, when we chatted last week, we were talking about how bad the smoke was. Uh, the smoke cleared out for a couple of days, uh, which was really great. Um, like I said, headed to the festival, the temperatures were in the lower 90s uh, during the day, and then at night got down into the lower 50s, maybe some upper 40s in some of the really rural locations around the state. But the story still continues to be the smoke. And even today, finally, we have a nice east wind coming through. It's kind of cleared it out a little bit. But man, the last couple days, um, my lungs are filled with dust and smoke from this festival. But it was one, it's smoke is great because it for two reasons. And these are the only reasons why it gives you really pretty sunrises and really pretty sunsets. Um, I'll share a picture here that I took at the festival of one of the, one of the sunsets as it was going through a really nice thick layer of smoke. It was really pretty. You could see the full sun. You didn't need to look at it with protection. And again, please don't go outside and look at the sun without either, you know, your solar glasses or, you know, some tempered welding glasses. We don't need people going blind from looking at the sun. We don't need a repeat of all the idiots that try to, you know, look at the eclipse one year later, by the way. So we're taping this now, um, on one year later from the eclipse. Um, so, yeah, just don't look at the sun without protection. But anyways, through the smoke, you were able to see it, it was really pretty. Um, like I said, today the smoke is finally cleared out. It's going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. But hopefully, hopefully fire season's winding down. And I know we wanted to get into this and talk about it. My smoke, and I'm going to claim the northwest smoke, so northern California, southern Oregon, uh, Eastern Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia. That's my smoke. And Bonnie, I've sent my smoke across the country. Yeah, yeah, you have. We we have it here. So appreciate that. There's a really awesome 
a little GIF of that from Satellite Radar on our Twitter page. So please, please go look at that. Um, but yeah, yeah, he definitely sent it all this way down into Texas. It's yeah, it was real hazy here yesterday. It's kind of cleared out now, but yeah, yesterday was pretty, pretty good. You know, it's really funny. We've talked a little bit about Ghost 16 and Ghost 17, the new weather satellites, and we're waiting for 17 to officially come online. But the smoke imaging and the smoke imager from 16 has really kind of changed the way that we view smoke. Now, we have like the MODIS satellite, which is really a great tool to look at the visible daytime imagery of where smoke is dispersed across the, the globe, really. But now with the smoke imagers coming off of Ghost 16 and when 17 comes online, we'll be able to have that high resolution look at it. And you're right. All the smoke has literally been sitting in this area over the northwest, and finally we're starting to get a little bit that's moving out, but it's been caught up in the jet stream. Like you said, it's now over Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, I've seen pictures of the northwest smoke coming in for in uh, the Dakotas and as far east as New York City, which you know blows my mind because you know we're that we're on opposite sides of the continent. And the wildfire smoke from this region is, you know, being really blown across the world. Uh, we saw fires in Siberia last year and even into this year where smoke got caught up in the jet stream across the Pacific Ocean, uh, up over Alaska in through central Canada, then down to the United States. So, you know, smoke is one of those things that it's it's like volcanic ash. It moves about pretty freely once it gets into the upper atmosphere. It's just like the dust coming off of Africa. So it's just crazy that... You know, it, it helps because it helps you see the way air moves around the globe when there's something in it like smoke or dust or ash or whatever. And so it just really gives you a good picture of the way air and wind flows around the whole entire globe. And it's it's just very fascinating and amazing that it can travel like that. It is. It's it's truly one of those things where you just look at and you're really, you know, kind of amazed by like, wow, this really is the difference of you know, why it is important that we monitor air quality and why it is important that we, you know, have satellites and we have the ability to track things like this because, I mean, can you imagine early pioneer days before, you know, people were settled in the air, they understood that, you know, wildfire is an occurrence where you just, one day you wake up and it's filled with smoke and you have no idea. And, mm -hmm. you know, you look around, there's no fires in the area. So, you know, I'm sure it's one of those things where people saw and just were were kind of baffled. But uh, I'm really, I'm really, you know, impressed by this new wave of technology, especially when it comes to, you know, tracking fog and smog and smoke and dust and all these other, you know, pretty small air particles that really do impact, you know, our weather. They impact our climate. They impact a lot of things. And the fact now that we have that visual representation you know, that we can see in a picture form is truly awe-inspiring. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, we just want to say thank you for sending all of your smoke over here. My pleasure. <laughs> well, hopefully we will just, it'll clear out of here pretty soon. But uh, Yeah, and it should. You know, I've been looking at some of the weather, uh, the forecast models, um, and we'll retweet some of these here on our Twitter page, and we'll also share them on Facebook. But, you know, you're looking at all these models where it's just like the smoke just sits here. And finally, it takes a good, you know, 20 to 30 mile an hour wind, you know, at a couple thousand feet to really move it around. I mean, because you can have, you know, breezes down here at the surface 15 to 20 miles an hour, but it's just pushing the smoke. It's not really clearing it out. It's just kind of moving it from one part of town to the other. So finally, it looks like we're going to have maybe, maybe knock on wood 
that, you know, something will come through and we'll actually, you know, kick it out of here and we'll kick it out. And hopefully we're waiting on rain. We're waiting on, you know, higher humidity. We're waiting on stuff so the, these fires die down because until that happens, we're still going to have smoke. We're still going to have a lot of fire. So, you know, the time is quickly coming where summer is coming to an end. Here comes fall. Now we just need one of those truly great classic you know, I hate to say it, but winter storms to kind of come in and drop a lot of rain to hopefully douse a lot of these fires. Yeah, well, in the snow, definitely, too. The snow will help take out a lot of those those particles. So It is true. I mean, thank God we have natural things like rain and snow to help scrub our air. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of people don't realize that you need those little tiny particles for the rain to get on and the snow to get on and build on and that like you said, cleans the air and thank you, mother nature. Right. And we won't get into this podcast, but I do want to, when we get into winter, you know, the fact that you have snow is because there's dust in the atmosphere, that Mm -hmm. there are other particles in the atmosphere because that's what, you know, the nuclei freeze around and then you start growing out your branches of your snowflakes. And so, you know, we need dust in the air. We need, you know, particulates in the air to, you know, create raindrops and snowflakes and clouds and other stuff. But, you know, we're, we're, I know that we're all tired of the smoke. I'm tired of looking at it. Um, you know, it gets in your lungs. It gets in your clothes. Your car smells like it. Your pets smell like it. Um, your significant other smells like smoke. It's just not, it's not fun. And, you know, we understand, again, it's part of living in the United States. It's part of living in the world, especially in areas where there's, you know, lots of forests, lots of, you know, areas that burn. And like we said, it's part of, it's part of the natural course. But you just do get tired of, tired of it after a while. It's like people in the Midwest, you guys get tired of snow and you guys get tired of rain and you get tired of thunderstorms. You just want something different. Our summer has been dominated by smoke. We're ready for something different. Hopefully it's coming. Hopefully it's coming. I mean, like you said, we'll see what happens as the seasons change and hopefully you get that rain that you guys really, really need. So right. fingers crossed for that. Yeah, we're not talking a tenth of an inch. We're talking like two inches to help, you know, kind of put out a lot of these fires um like i said i spent last weekend down at a music festival about 100 miles from where i sit today uh it was a country music festival it's one of the three that are in the immediate uh, state of oregon area I'll, i'll say uh but one of the things that we you know we have talked about um before we started taping this podcast is you know weather affects a lot of people not just through what's the high and low gonna be how windy is it gonna be how much humidity is in the air are we going to have storms? But weather impacts a concert venue and it impacts fans going to shows. And I know that when you and I had talked yesterday, you had mentioned that something had happened outside of a Backstreet Boys concert. So, Bonnie, quickly fill us into that and then we can talk about how weather impacts that whole setup. Well, down at the Windstar Casino, which is in southern Oklahoma, it's kind of on the border of Oklahoma and Texas, um, there was a show. Backstreet Boys and 98 Degrees. Sounds like a really good show, honestly. Right. But we had storms moving through over the weekend in different parts of Oklahoma, and a decent storm came through and knocked over some metal. I've heard two different stories. It was some metal scaffolding or it was a sign, but it fell over and hit people standing outside, the big crowd standing outside. And there were several, several people injured, but they were all treated at the scene so that was good. Like no one had to be like medified or rushed out of there or anything. So it sounds like it was minor injuries, but 
that was weather related. It was knocked over by wind because of these storms that had come through. So, you know, it happens all the time. And that wasn't even an outdoor venue. Right. And this was, you know, this was just like you said, at a, at a casino, but folks were standing outside waiting to go in. And, yeah. you know, we have talked about, especially in the music community for a long time, and I know in the meteorology community as well, um, what happened at the Indiana State Fair a couple of years ago with Sugarland on stage where they had the stage collapse yeah. and the collapse resulted in a few deaths. And sig- I think it was six. Yeah, I think it was six too. And, you know, significant injuries to a lot of other people. There were multiple lawsuits filed. Um, and in the end, it was determined that the way the stage was set up was the reason why it collapsed, where you basically had no, you know, grounding of guy wires, your weights to keep, you know, the ballast setup was not anchored to anything, so the only friction it relied upon was the weight basically pushing against the ground. You and I both know, coming from the weather community, you know, you can use something like that when you have absolutely no wind, but as soon as you get that, you know, horizontal force on something, you're, it becomes a pulling motion. And so, you know, you go back and look at it, and they say that, it was blamed because you didn't anchor these giant Jersey barriers to the ground. And these guided wires weren't strong enough to hold this load. And, you know, when I go to an outdoor venue or I go to a concert, I look at that and, yeah. you know, I go to two or three outdoor festivals a year. And the first thing I kind of look for is like, all right, where's the anemometer on the corner of the stage? So they know how fast the wind is blowing. And, you know, I kind of look and see, okay, if something were to happen, how far away do I have to be where I know this is not going to fall on me? Right. Because those people at that Indiana concert, you know, they're up to the stage. And so all that, it's a really awful video. It's really, really scary. It is. And, you know, I talked to a friend of mine yesterday who was um, the marketing director for a festival I go to every year. And she has branched out and is now doing her own independent contracting for a bunch of other shows. And she goes, I don't necessarily deal with the aspect of what stage mechanics go into it, but I'm dealing with the evacuation plans and it's my job to kind of figure out, okay, in the event something happens, where do people go? And so in the course of researching that yesterday and talking to her and talking with you, um, I want to say that I had seen an article or seen a video right after Indiana State Fair had happened where a company was saying, well, you know, if wind speeds reach X amount, the technology built into the stage is that it basically automatically lowers. And if the stage is going to automatically lower, the chances of things blowing around are much less, and you're basically now creating a smaller surface area for the wind to blow. And so I wasn't able to track down the article, but, you know, you look at these companies that come in and they build out these stages. And they are now very much touting safety as a major factor into why you should go with this stage or why you should go with this company. And they post on there for people to see. Here are the wind load requirements. If you do not have a backdrop, which is the, you know, the basically either it could be a piece of fabric that hangs from the back of the stage. Usually it's vinyl, um, especially if you're going to be in an area where you're thinking about rain or any type of precip. Um, that j- acts as a giant sale. So again, now you're adding another force having to mm-hmm. basically keep this thing together. And they're saying, if you have a backdrop, most stages can withhold winds around 70 miles an hour. 
If you don't have a backdrop, the number is much higher because the wind will pass through it. But still, you're worried about now speakers blowing and you're worried about lights falling and you're worried about anything that you've had to hang from the stage or any of the trusses that have been you know, brought in to help anchor things down. So wind is now very important to look at. And rain, wind, and lightning, of course, are all areas that, you know, concert goers have to worry about when you are out and about. And, you know, not that I ever want to say it's a good thing that stuff like this happens, but it's a wake-up call to the industry. And we have seen the industry respond with, okay, there are now apps available for your phone for, you know, event promoters and event producers that you can log on and it will give you an hour-by-hour forecast. Um, I know one of the apps I was looking at last night uh, was featuring their own version of the high resolution rapid, you know, refresh radar where every hour it creates a new scenario. So you have these tools now that are available to you to help determine, do we continue with the show or do we need to postpone it or do we cancel? Because we don't want to see the Indiana State Fair have a repeat of what happened anywhere. And we've seen it, though. We've seen it in Brazil. We've seen it in Denmark. We've seen it in England where these stages do collapse because, one, either they weren't you know, built properly or the engineering wasn't done correctly. When you get a wind, and I'm not talking you know, like a hurricane force wind. I'm talking 40, 50 miles an hour, which is like enough. Like dust front type of thing, oh, absolutely. which is what, what comes through most of the time, you know, and that's what hit Indiana. So, like, yeah, like you said, it doesn't need to be something that'll withstand a hurricane, but something that'll withstand that 40, 50, maybe 60. Right. And, you know, most people don't realize that anything above really 30 miles an hour, it's hard to stand in. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a force that's being pushed upon you and pushed upon the structure that if it's not anchored properly is going to collapse. And, you know, it's just one of those things that we look at, especially I know I do, you know, when I go to a festival again, how far do I have to stand, you know, be away from the thing in the event something happens? Well, and, you know, this is a little off subject, but what has also come about from those kind of events is the talk of being prepared for emergencies and that that's something that has been lacking in past situations and people not acting fast enough and waiting till the last minute to act. Because that storm at the Indiana State Fair was approaching for hours before it got there. So, you know, having better emergency prepared plans at big events like that has become a big topic of discussion. In fact, there's a whole course dedicated to emergency preparedness as part of your meteorology degree at OU. And I took that class and it was super, super, super interesting. And so we talked about the Indiana State Fair and a bunch of other different outdoor venues and things that have happened and how, you know, people wait too long to act before disasters happen, you know, and it's about money and that's why they wait so long is they don't want to have to cancel or reschedule or whatever because of the money they're going to lose. But then something like Indiana happens and six people and countless others, you know, are injured and that's a whole lot of money they just lost. So, you know, this, these kind of things have also brought out um, meteorology consultants for concert venues and and musicians, too, have their own because they want somebody there who's going to make, you know, talk about what's coming, what could be happening, and how to prepare for that. And so, like you said, these kind of events have caused things to change. So it's a good thing they've happened. Tragic, but 
they've brought about change. So exactly, the liability is just too is too high, you know, mm-hmm. because you know you go back and read the final report. Nobody at the Indiana State Fair knew who was the point person to make the call to either cancel or proceed. Exactly. There was no no clear defined person, so everyone was just running around like a chicken with their head cut off, and they don't know what to do, where to go, and who to talk to. You know, so it was just all unorganized, and that has just really caused a huge push in having a very clear defined plan for any and all types of emergency situations that can happen when there's large crowds involved. Exactly. And, and again, we don't want to harp on, you know, this as being an unsafe thing because it's definitely not. I mean, there are millions of concerts that go on that have wind events or wind delays or weather events and weather delays that go off without a hitch because people are prepared. But if you're going to a concert, just take a moment or two and just kind of familiarize yourself with where are the entrances, where are the exits. If you're outside, you know, if something were to happen, are you away from speakers or a stage far enough that if it were to collapse, you'd be okay? Yeah. Or if lightning is striking, do you know where you can go quickly to take shelter? You know, it's just, you got to be responsible for you. I mean, the venue and the people in charge are also responsible, but you know, you have control over you. So please, if you feel unsafe, do what you need to do to feel safe. Exactly. And, you know, most most festivals and most venues will give you, you know, ample direction on where you can go. But again, it comes up to you because in the event something were to happen, you can't rely on somebody. You have to be able to act, as you just said. You take mm-hmm. care of yourself first or take care of your friends and family first and then worry about everybody else. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Bonnie, again, another really great conversation with you on this week's edition of B-Squared, your weekly weather podcast. I'm Bobby in Oregon. And I'm Bonnie in Oklahoma City. And we will talk to you guys next week. Have a great week. Bye, guys.